Amen. You all can, you can be seated. So this week we've been hanging meat from the gymnasium, and you can feel it's a little bit cold. Um, if you decide that you want to get up and do some air squats or do some jumping jacks, it'll be perfectly fine. We actually had a concert last night, Mac Powell and Laura Story, they were actually here. So there was a little under a thousand people, a lot of, uh, a lot of hot air, a lot of you know, body heat, so it's a little bit cooler than it usually is. Um, culture of care, right? We've been talking about culture of care and creating an environment where the body of Christ, that's you, right, are caring for the needs of the body of Christ, and that's also you, Okay. And a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, her name is Rebecca Reynolds, and she just wrote this book. It's called Courage Dear Heart. Go to Amazon, get it. It's great audio, you know, or just, you know, reading, you know, copy or hard copy. But in this book, in the very first chapter, she talks about this church that she used to work for, and it was going to be Easter Sunday, and on Easter Sunday, they wanted to do something different. So they had this idea that they were going to get these little pieces of tissue and everybody would get a little piece of tissue and you could write it in your, you know, someone else's handwriting. You didn't want people to know, you know, that it was you. But you had to write down one word that described where your heart was at that moment. Just one word, right? So they would collect these and there was like 2,000 of them, okay? And then they would get them and they would put them on the back wall and there was this light that would come in on Sunday morning and it would illuminate and then people would be able to look up and see. So they didn't know what was going to happen with that. It's going to take a minute, but I want to read an excerpt from this book because I want you to see the things that they actually wrote. It says, skipping ahead, yet this project that had seemed so charmingly simple in my head ended up requiring hours of physical labor. For a week solid, I worked, kneeling over huge frames made from wood and vinyl sheeting. Each tiny piece had to be positioned so that it fit into a grand design, effort that was close and tedious. And on my hands and knees, I read every single paper. Here's the words. Abused, cancer, porn, shame, debt, addict, loneliness, my sexuality, obesity, my mom, my son, bankruptcy, and so on and so forth. I don't know what Catholic priests feel when they sit listening to parishioners talk through hurt and shame, but I wasn't prepared for the gravity of 2,000 confessions. After a decade of ministry, I had expected to read hard words, so I was not shocked by the types of struggles but that people had admitted. The volume of the struggle of the church, though, it knocked me flat. I didn't unfold one paper that said discouraged. I unfolded 200. This single word was written in feminine script and shaky old handwriting and masculine block letters and in teenage bubble letters. All around me, people were carrying terrible burdens. I couldn't help but crying as I spent those long days alone with the grief of the church, realizing that at last, every single smiling face I passed in the hallways every week had a story to tell, right? This isn't someone else's church that we're talking about. This is Redstone Church as well. The hardest words were written in faint, tiny letters, and those I saw how difficult it had been to tell the whole truth. Even anonymously, an admission of reality had been terrifying for some. How the Lord must ache as he looks down upon the bare sorrows of his people. With what awareness the sacrificial system of the Old Testament finally made a little bit more sense to me. Nothing but fire, smoke, and blood could ex uh, express the smoldering depths of human pain. The New Testament also rang clear since nothing but the infusion of the divine life could ever redeem such widespread death. As beautiful as humanity is at times, we are also deeply messed up, too helpless for anything less than the rescue of a God or God. Never again would I look into a body of Christians with the delusion that most of us are okay. 
I'm skipping forward, and then I'll close with this. When our worshipers walked in the sanctuary on Easter, they didn't know what we had prepared. But as we lowered the room lights and illuminated the windows, they gasped. After church was over, they lingered in the sanctuary an hour or more, wondering until they found the tiny word that they had written. Then they looked outward, finding their confessions, surrounded by the confessions of others, and they realized that they were not alone. The whole conversation was entirely anonymous, yet it felt so intimate. Friends threw arms around one another and prayed together, whispering. Others stood with their heads bowed, some knelt. Eventually, the pastors decided to open the church during non-service hours so that members could take time to process what we had discovered about ourselves and about one another. In some ways, I was reminded of New Yorkers post 9-11. Do you remember those first desperate hours how strangers moved toward one another, bleeding and crying, leaning on one another's strength to walk through the rubble? Mass tragedy has a way of exposing our common frailty and then such intersections of human tenderness and horror, all shields are down. And here at last we confess, and this is the key that we're gonna be jumping into today. At last we can confess the world is broken and I am broken, and my need is desire. So we've been walking through this, this series, developing a culture of care. And Spencer started us off when we talked about love. Love of God, when we understand the love of God, what he has done for us, right? He loves us, and as a catalyst to loving one another, we must first experience his love right, so that he receives the glory for that. So we love God, right? Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you really love me, you will love one another. So love is our foundation, okay? And then we moved on, and Bruce walked us through knowing, okay? You can say that you love me, but if you don't spend any time with me, your love must not be very deep. You actually have to find a way to get to know people to actually express your love toward them, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, that girl, I love her, and I'm going to marry her. Um, one of these days, I'll let her know that, but we're going to like go our separate ways. And then one day, I'm going to go, hey, just by the way, I do love you. Will you marry me? Who are you? I don't know your name. Well, that's not the way it works. You have to court an individual. You have to spend time with them. You have to get to know them, right? So uh, Bruce did a really good job of walking us through how important that it is to actually find a way to know people. And we're going to talk about that again today. I can't let that go. It's going to be my second point right? Knowing, knowing one another. And then last week, who all was here last week? Okay, so last week we talked about speaking. So love, know, speak, and now we're going to use our words, right? Because 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are now his, yes! Thank you, somebody listened, right? We are your ambassadors as though he's making his appeal through whom? Through you, Right? It was the whole Ephesians 4. God makes dispensers of the world, right? And these apostles and evangelists and teachers and preachers. And, and he gives them these gifts so that they can equip the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, to be able to care for the needs of the body, right? So it's not everyone coming to the pastor for help. It's us caring for one another. We are ambassadors. You have words to speak. God has anointed you with words to speak. You have the same spirit that raised Jesus within you, and you have something to say, okay? And then the second part of that was sometimes it gets tricky because sometimes you step into conversations with people, and it's hard, you know, you don't know how to speak these things, but you need to. So we spent a lot of time talking about how to speak the truth in love. Okay, so I'm not going to go through all that again, but that catches us up to where we are right now. 
So where we are right now is we're going to step into do. And do is the last part. So love, know, speak, and do is walking with people, stepping into difficult situations with people, right, in such a way that true gospel change can take place in their hearts. Okay? So do doesn't really express what I'm trying to say or what we're trying to say. But do is, what do I need to do on a daily, moment-by-moment basis? And the way that I allow the Spirit of Jesus to live within me with these people in a way that their lives are changed and that my life is changed and that they bear the image of King Jesus and that I bear the image of King Jesus, what does that look like? What do I need to do? Right? That's where we're going. A couple years ago, I, um, I watched a movie. It was called Hacksaw Ridge, right? If you're a parent, uh, I strongly encourage you to go to Plugged In Online to review all movies. I'm just saying. As a dad of four, you know, my kids want to know, can I see this movie? They know I've already reviewed it, right? Uh, can I listen to this music? They know I've probably already reviewed it. So I'm just going to throw that plug out there. It has nothing to do with the sermon. But this particular movie was rated R. And it was rated R because there was gross violence that took place, because it was a it was a depiction of World War II and this battle that took place in Okinawa, right? And it was called Hacksaw Ridge because the side of the mountain looked like it had just been hit with a hacksaw and the, the soldiers were trying to work their way up to fight the enemy and they were like all in, but it was a real struggle to get there. Okay, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And um, Andrew Garfield plays Desmond T. Desmond T. Doss. Real guy, he was a um, conscientious, conscientious objector. That's hard to say, right? He did not believe in shooting people even in war, so he went in as a medic instead, okay? Great movie. Kids don't watch it. Adults watch it and do so like this during the battle scenes. Um, But what happened was they went all in, and it was bad. It was brutal. There was carnage, and what they thought would happen is that they would be able to push the lines forward but the enemy was just waiting on them. They were sitting ducks, and it was, it was bad. There was carnage. So retreat, retreat. They all started back down the hill, down the hill, down the hill, and there was these people, there was these men lying everywhere. Some of them could no longer see, right? Some of them could no longer hear. Some of them weren't, were completely incapable of, of walking, right? But as a medic, he knew what his job was. He said, I cannot leave my fellow soldier. I must go into this abyss and I must go help them, right? What would you do in that situation? I don't know, but there's a spiritual connection. And you see Andrew Garfield, Desmond Doss, you see him one soldier at a time. This person cannot see, I will be his eyes for him. This person cannot hear, I will be his ears for them. This person is incapable of getting to this ridge and having someone lower them down this long rope. I have to be his feet for him right? And one after another, you see him like lugging these men up on his shoulders and going to the edge and helping them um, to rescue. How many do you think? 10, 15, 75 men. He went into the abyss. True story. 75 men were saved because Andrew Garfield. No, not Andrew Garfield. Because Desmond Doss went after them and rescued them. So we're talking today about the abyss. Abyss. Okay, And in this passage that we're going to look at, and it's in your worship guide in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, sometimes the abyss, abyss is clearly sin. There's no doubt about that. Sometimes people are so in the abyss, 
right? There's, there's real sin. They give in to temptation. You know, that can be, you know, fill in the blank. Fill in your, you know, the one sin that you struggle with, right? And sometimes it was not sin. Sometimes it was just grief, you know, losing a husband, losing a wife, losing a mom, losing a dad. Sometimes it was losing a child, right? You know, sometimes um, not being able to have children. No matter what, there are people that are in the abyss that are sitting in these seats at Providence Academy on this Sunday morning, August the 26th, right? Some of you all are in the abyss. Some of you all know other people that are in the abyss, right? And what we're looking at is how do we do what Jesus has called us to do in a way that brings glory to him and points people to Jesus, okay? So the first thing that we're going to look at is the individual who is actually in the abyss. So look at your worship guide, and let's read this passage together. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. We're going to look at community, we're going to look at care, we're going to look at mobilization. Three parts, okay? Just so you know. When I get to number three, you're going to be like, ah, oh, this is his last point. So I've told you up front, three points. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Let's read it together. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're talking about going into the abyss, bearing one, bearing one another's burdens, and in doing so, fulfilling the law of Christ. Okay, so here's point number one. Point number one is we have to be in community, right? We must be willing in community to go into the abyss to help our brother and our sister out who are in need. The gospel connection there is this is the same, same Savior, the creator of all mankind, right? The creator of everything who humbled himself and came to this dark and dreary abyss of a world for us. That's the heart of God. This is the same Jesus who goes to the leper and touches him, right? We must be willing to do the same thing to our brothers and sisters, okay? Community requires action, and sometimes that requires you to step into the abyss with someone. Okay, so first person that I want to talk to is the individual who is in the abyss, or you've been in the abyss before, okay? Who has been in an abyss in your life? Quick hands. Oh, well, looky there. All of us. We have. We know what that's like, okay? So here's a couple of things. Potential mistake number one if you're in the abyss, is that you don't cry for help. You just don't cry for help. I am going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I am going to get through this by golly, right? I am so embarrassed that I'm struggling with depression. I'm a grown man. Why would I be struggling with depression? I am not going to tell anybody that. How can I tell anybody that, right? So we go it alone, and we don't cry out. So I've got a lot of points, so I'm going to move these, through these pretty quickly. I'm not going to dwell there, but just know that there's a lot of us that we're just don't, we don't let anybody know. We don't pick up the phone. We don't call them. We don't look at somebody and say, hey, you need to know, here's my struggle, and I really could use your prayer right now. We just don't say anything, right? That's a mistake. How can we bear one another burden, another's burdens if we don't let someone know that there's a burden to, um, to be born, bared? I don't even know what, what the word is. Second, second point, some people 
this goes back to community, have never gotten close enough to an individual or individuals, so they actually have no one to cry out to. Right? They have no one to cry out to. I'm in the abyss. I am really struggling. I look around me and I realize, you know what I've done? I have kept my wall so big all of my life that I've never allowed anybody to get into this inner space to know who I really am. I don't have anybody to let know. I'm kind of alone. Now, I may be in a sea of other people, right? But the truth of the matter is, none of these individuals that are around me on a daily basis, they don't really know my heart. You know, they don't really know my struggle. So some individuals have no one to communicate to. And then the third mistake that you can make if you're in the abyss, right, is that you're actually not honest with your struggle. Like, hey, I'm kind of have a little bit of struggle. Yeah, I just know, you know what's going on. It's probably, I think I've been eating like too much Mexican food or I've been drinking too much coffee. It's not a big deal, but if you don't mind, you know, pray for me. And the truth of the matter is, you know, you're hanging on for dear life and you're not honest. James 5.16 puts it this way. Okay, there's this passage that talks about healing, and after the healing part, then it says, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. I don't know that I'm smart enough or understand all the theology of what that exactly means. We're talking about someone who's sick and bringing healing to them, but then it turns around and it says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed, right? Well, for one thing, you know, for one thing, um, we understand that we only confess our sins to Jesus for forgiveness, there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the, the advocate. The, he, he, you know, he's the propitiation, I think is the word that's used, for our sins. He's the one that takes our sins. So we actually don't have a need to go, Jonathan's the priest, so I don't have a need to go over to Jonathan and confess my sins for forgiveness. Now, I can confess my sins to Jonathan, but he's not going to be able to say, okay, I forgive you, right? You receive forgiveness. He can't do that. Sorry, Jonathan, you don't have that a power, okay? But thanks for standing there, right, and so I can use you as an illustration. We planned this, didn't we? Right. Okay. But I can go to Jonathan to get this off of my shoulders, right? Dude, I need your help, right? There's something magical when I can look at a brother and I can confess my sins to them. What it does, it enables them the ability to be an ambassador back to me and to speak the truth in love to me and to speak gospel to me. Do you understand that? The person that I'm confessing my sins to has the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead within them. They have words to speak back to me. It's a disservice that I not allow Jesus to be, speak back to me, but that's how he does it. He does it through his word. He does it by his Holy Spirit, and he does it through other people. So when I can confess my sins, that man, I am in deep sin, right? I am really, really, really struggling. Struggling. And Jonathan can love me back and lay his hands on me and pray for me. That's a really, really good thing. And then hopefully he won't leave me there and walk away, and we'll get to that in a moment. Okay? So now there's, there's me. So this is a story of me. i got to insert this because i got to let you know that the uh, theology that I'm talking about here is very real and, and, and near and dear to my heart. In October of 2011, Jerry Williams was in an abyss. I was in an abyss like I had never been before. I was overseeing a, a large Christian school. I had people all around me and people looking up to me. And if you looked at me, you would have said, the dude's got it all together, right? It wasn't true. I felt like I was this close to death. I didn't even communicate the gravity of where I was even to my own wife, who is by far my very best friend on the planet, right? And I looked around and I realized I am that guy. I have such a wall up, I have never 
let people know who I really am and my heart and my struggle. I would hide it through comedy, right? I would hide it just to these little words that I would say, these, these sentences that I would speak. But the truth of the matter is, I was not in a good place. I needed someone in my life, and I needed to start being real with people in my life. My kids can tell you that there was a difference after October 2011. My wife can tell you that there was a difference after October 2011. I picked up the phone, and I said, who is the, the most godly man that I know that loves Jesus at a high, high level? Who, do, who can I think of? And I call this guy Rusty, and I, I've told some of y'all this before. I said, hey, I barely know you, but I need help. Can you meet with me? And we started meeting on a weekly basis, and he picked me up, and he carried me out of that abyss. And it was a magical thing. And he was Jesus to me in that moment. And it changed my life. And I began to become real with my kids. And I began to become real with my wife and with other individuals. And I said, I must surround myself with people that can actually get inside of this wall, right? And they may look and say, oh, I'm surprised. I didn't realize you would have that struggle. And I'm going to be okay with that. I have to be willing to do that because I am never going to go through what I just went through again in my life. So I know, I get it, and I understand. And some of you all are there right now. I know you are. Okay, the second person that we want to look to is the individual who's actually looking into the abyss, right? So you're looking down and you're seeing a brother or a sister and they're struggling. What do you do? Okay, potential mistake number one, you don't do anything. James 5, or 2, 15, and 16, I'm not going to look it up, but the loose paraphrase is, you see your brother or sister in need, they need food, and you've got food, they need clothing, and you've got clothing, you know, they need um, just someone to, to, to spend time with, and, and you're available, and instead what you do is you look at them and say, oh, I hope everything works out with you, may God bless you, um, I'll be praying for you, and you walk away, right? That's what that passage says, and it says, yeah, you show me your faith with your words, and I'll show you my faith with what I, our word for the day, with what I do, right? I'm going to go give bread to you, and I'm going to give clothing to you, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to actually spend time with you, right? So potential mistake number one is that we do nothing. Potential mistake number two is that we do go in, but we go in in our own strength, right? We don't recognize I'm an ambassador of King Jesus, and if it's true that Jesus has placed his Holy Spirit within me, I probably need to go to him and pray for wisdom and discernment and help to know how to minister to this person, right? Instead, we kind of go in, you know, we're just shooting from the hip, right? We're shooting from the hip, and, you know, we're just, well, I think you should do this, and I think your problem is this, and if you do this, then it'll all, if you just get into the Word of God tomorrow, it's all going to go away, Right? That's pretty good. I've never done that. I didn't practice that. And that's not in my sermon notes. Right. But that's what we do. And this passage says, those of you who are spiritual, go in and restore them. Those of you who are walking in the Spirit, those of you that are in the Word of God, those of you that are confessing your sins quickly to Jesus so that you can hear what he's saying and he can speak through you to this individual, you go in and restore them. Because if not, it says, you'll be drugged into your, yourself. Drug dragged. I'm terrible. I'm a former school administrator, and I can't even use words properly, right? But, right, you, you'll do, go through the same thing. Well, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? Well, my daughter just died. She's two years old. That's hard. That's an abyss. A loving God would never allow that. I used to believe that there was a God that was full of love. How can a loving God allow that to happen? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. And you begin to have doubts in your own heart. 
That's just one example. You begin to doubt the goodness of God, the love of God, the mercy of Christ because of the things that you've gone through, because you don't understand the Word of God and who He is, that God is love. And we're going to look at it in a minute. But it, He's the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. There's nothing that you can go through that He does not understand. If you don't understand that, you're going to go in to save them. I won't make the noise again right? And you're going to get drugged down as well. And you're going to walk back and you're going to be broken yourself. So that's another mistake. But here's the bottom line. And I'm going to move on to, to point number two because time is slowly slipping away. It's the bearing of one another's burdens that fulfills the law of Christ. The law of Jesus, again, two things. Love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We have the light of the word of God. We have the light of the gospel and we have to be willing to climb down, get dirty, put our brothers and our sisters on our backs and carry them. And if that doesn't cause pain, if that doesn't cause you to change your priorities, and if that doesn't cause you to get dirty and there's not scars on your knees, then you're doing something wrong. This is what Christianity actually looks like. Okay, gospel point number two, gospel action number two. This is my second point, and this is going to be my shortest point because I really want to get to three. You need to stay with them. Don't leave them. Care for them well. Bring them to restoration. Be a minister of reconciliation. Lead them to Christ and the goodness of the truth of the gospel. The truth of the matter is, it's to your benefit that I put all those together because I basically gave you six points in one, right? So I'm not going to go through those individually. But the, the thing is, once you go to them, Right? Don't drop them off and leave them to somebody else. You need to walk with them. This is what Bruce was talking about. This is what he was saying. Is like, you can't do that with everybody, right? But there's a couple of people that you can really pour into at a very, very deep level. Um, my mom and my dad, this is a short story, but I remember when my dad was saved when I was around 10 years old, and there was a Sunday school teacher. His name's E.B. Tolliver, and he's still alive, and his wife just passed away a few months ago. But E.B. Tolliver, for whatever reason, looked at my dad and said, Jesus wants me to disciple you, right? And he went in, right, started establishing a relationship, invited them over for dinner, right? And that was, gosh, I'm 50, so I was uh, 10 years old at the time, so that was thir uh, 40 years ago. I can't do math either. So that was 40 years ago, and every Christmas Eve, for the past, let's say, 39 years or whatever, every Christmas Eve, my mom and dad go spend Christmas Eve with the Tollivers, right? Every Christmas Eve. Every um, Valentine's Day, they find some restaurant within like a three-mile or 300-mile radius, and they go and they drive, and they go have a steak, and they love each other well, and then they come home, right? And every birthday, my dad gets a Christian book. He gets a commentary. And he has this wonderful library and probably 25% of those came from E.B. Tolliver. He gave my dad the word of God over and over. My dad would pour through the scriptures, and he would say, I don't understand this, and he would call E.B., or they would get together, right? E.B. Tolliver may not have poured into anyone else in his whole life except for my dad, but when he comes to heaven, God's going to welcome him. Well done, my faithful servant. You love David Williams well. Jerry Williams is walking with the Lord because you loved his dad well. Jerry's kids are walking with the Lord because you loved him well, right? That's what we're talking about. I made my kids and my wife the other night watch this video. It's called Godspeed. Google it, right? It's a 33-minute video. The premise of the video is this. 
most people walk at three miles an hour, right? In America especially, we're going at about 20 miles an hour. We've got to slow down and get to know people. That's the bottom line, okay? The bottom line is, like this is our parish, we've got to slow down and get to know one another, right? It's great to give high fives on Sunday morning and you know, shake each other's hands, small talk and what have you. We've got to be more intentional. We've got to find a couple people. We've got to pour into them, and we've got to really get to know them. Because only in the getting to know of them will we understand when something's off. You know, we, we, I was talking to my daughter last night, and she was like, something's off with so-and-so. I'm like, yep, you're right. I've been praying, too. Something's definitely off with her. I know that. You know that. You've got to go in. You've got to go get her. She's in the abyss right now. How would we know that? Because we've got a deep relationship with her, right? We've got to be willing to do that. We can't guarantee that they'll be restored any more than we can guarantee that when we go share the gospel with someone that they're going to come to Jesus. That's out of your control. Jesus never says you must make sure that they don't struggle with this sin anymore, this temptation, once you restore them. No, he says go, bear their burdens. Bear their burdens for the glory of God. Carry them on your shoulder. Carry them out. And the rest really is completely up to the Lord. Okay, now moving on. Point number three. And this one's critical, critical, critical. Some of you, you just need to like get your blood flowing, right? We got to keep the blood going to your brain because if you just heard the first two points and you missed this point, I have failed miserably today. Okay, look at your worship guide. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. While you're turning there, I failed to read this earlier, but I'm going to read it to you now. This is Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. It says, two are better than one because they have a good re- reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Listen to this. Listen. It says, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe to the individual that does not know someone else well enough that they can be lifted out of their abyss. May that not be true of the people that call Redstone Church their home. Point number three, let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all, key word, man, circle that one, in all our affliction, so that we may be able, able to comfort those who are in any Another key word, affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We'll stop there. Not with the sermon, so no, you're not getting off. But I won't read the rest of it. But here's the point, okay? To the giver of care, to the person who's going into the abyss, here's your point. You are to remind the receiver, the person that you're ministering to, the person that's in the abyss, that the trial that they're going through right, is to be used to be as a catalyst to point other people to Jesus. And for the individual who's receiving the care, who's being carried out and loved on well, you need to be willing to use your abyss struggle, your struggle with anger, your struggle with depression, your struggle that you had with pornography, your struggle with going through a difficult divorce, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You have to be willing to use that to help someone else out. That's what Paul's saying here, 
right? I'm comforting you with the comfort that I received from the Lord so that you'll be able to help other people who are going through things. Not even the same things, but definitely going through things, okay? So here's the gospel action point. God calls us to point others to Christ, to speak his love, to make disciples. We are saved to serve. We are called to go. There is commission. There is mobilization all throughout the gospel, right? You're not saved just to be saved. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. We are saved, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Nobody can boast, and it says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Do. There's things that we need to do, right? We have to understand that it's not just to bring us out of the abyss. That, re that, that brings glory to Jesus, and we need to praise him for that, but we don't stop. We look around us and we find out who else is in the abyss and how can I help them with the same comfort, the same wisdom, the same biblical truths, the same gospel understanding that I have received from another. I need to give that away. And if not, I'm missing the point. But look at this passage quickly, okay? First off, verse number three, just as a reminder, he really is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Sometimes I don't feel that, and I need to go to the Word of God. Sometimes when people look at me and say, how can a loving God allow this? And I can say, you know what? I don't, I don't understand all the things of God. But in these moments where I have doubt and struggle, that's when I go to the Word of God and I see that God is love. He is the Father of compassion. He has more compassion on people than anybody, right? He's the Father of compassion, and He's the God of all comfort. We need to know that to be able to speak that truth to someone else. And he comforts us in all of our affliction. Look at it. In all our affliction, next two words are so that, right? If you've got your worship guide, mark that. So that. Got your Bible? Highlight that. So that. He comforts us so that we can comfort other people. Uh, 4B, in what? In any affliction. It doesn't have to be the same affliction, but in any affliction that they go through. Right? So the truth of the matter is this. If you've received comfort and help from King Jesus, right, and then this other person over here is in the abyss, what you don't do is say, oh, I see that they're in the abyss. I'd love to be able to go help them, right? I love them well and I know them well, but I've never gone through what they're going through, so I'm out. Jesus will send someone else. No, 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 no. You're able to comfort them in any affliction. You go into the abyss and you pull them out and you love them well. And it may be that you're the one that will continue to help them and pull them out of the abyss, or it may be that you'll be able to connect them with so-and-so. Uh, you've got to talk to whomever, right? You know, you've got to talk to Richard Preston, you know, because he knows exactly what you're going through, right? I'm going to connect you two. We're going to have coffee next week. It may be that's what you're doing, but you don't use that as an excuse not to go in. And the second, you know, point is this, though. However, right, if you have gone through something specific, or maybe your life struggle is something very specific, guess what? King Jesus wants you to use that to point people to him. If you've got a story, if you've had a struggle, if you've been in the abyss, remain steadfast in prayer and watchful in it. Remember Colossians 4.2. 
open up our eyes, be watchful in it, pay attention to the people around you. Don't be surprised if Jesus doesn't put someone right in front of you who needs exactly what you have gone through or to hear the help that you received when you went through it, right? As I did last week, I got to put in a plug for community groups. I wouldn't be faithful to my calling if I did not. So in this body, going back to Ephesians 4, God has declared, you know, apostles and pastors and preachers and evangelists and what have you, right, to equip the body of saints for the work of ministry. When each part does itself, it will build itself up in love, that passage goes on to say, right? Please hear me. This is so important. King Jesus has established this church, but he has not established it just for Sunday mornings. Discipleship is taking place today because we're looking at Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and we're looking at 2 Corinthians 1, and we're looking at that. So discipleship is being a follower of Jesus and understanding the teachings of Jesus, okay? We can make that more complex than it needs to be because you've got to find someone at least 20 years older, and they need to pour into you. And if that's not happening, then you're not, there's no discipleship. That's not true. There's a lot of different ways that people can be discipled, and Sunday morning actually is one of those, right? One-on-one is definitely one of those. But so is community groups, right? Community group is a way that you can be discipled. It's a way that we're teaching one another how to follow Jesus well and how to get to know each other well. And within this group, someone's going to be in an abyss. It's going to happen. We want this body to be a body of people that are connected at such a level that when someone is in the abyss, that someone's going to drag them out. We beg you, we implore you, step into those community relationships, right? This is a little odd, but I'm going to do it anyway. Community group leaders, if you're a leader or if you're actually a host or a hostess, this won't take long. I'm not going to ask you to say anything back to me, but just stand up real quick. So community group leaders, community uh, group home hostesses, ho- hosts and hostesses. Okay, look around. And the reason I'm doing this, okay, because you might be like, oh, I had no idea. I don't know anybody here, but I know Sam, right? Go to Sam, right? Y'all can sit back down, right? But there's a lot of individuals that are opening up their homes, and there's other individuals that are going to be the facilitators. Find one of those. There's a table back in the back. For the next three weeks, they will be there. But our goal is to have 100% of the people that are in the sanctuary in some kind of a community group. Because we're all about community groups? No, we're all about the gospel. Is it because we just love small groups? No, it's not because we love small groups. It's because we love the gospel, and the gospel declares that we must love people, and if we're going to love people, we must be committed to people. And how are we going to be committed to people? We're going to spend time with them. How are you going to spend time with them? Well, I don't know. There's probably 15 different ways that you can do that, but I can guarantee you community groups is one of them, right? There are other individuals that are here today that are in the abyss, right? You are in the abyss, and you don't have anyone to cry out to. I get it. Been there, and I've done that. At the end of the service today, we're going to have at least one or two people. I don't know where Daniel is. He's probably stuck back in children's care. I don't know if he may actually be in here, but they're going to be back in the back. So if you need someone to pray you know, for you, just start there. They'll pray with you, they'll love on you, and they may connect you to someone else. But don't go it alone. Don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Community care team, that's all that it's about. What we have said from the very beginning is this, and I'm closing, right? We are a people in need of change, helping people in need of change. I've got struggle in my own heart, and I shared some of that with you all that were here last week. And I need people speaking gospel truth back into my heart. 
people in need of change helping people in need of change. So the vision is that through community care, mobilization, that we'll become a body filled with people who aren't looking to the pastors of the church, but they're looking to one another to help them receive this change, a body committed to carrying one another's burdens. And if we carry one another's burdens, Jesus says it here, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. Are you tracking with me? Are you hearing me? Right? Don't let this just, oh, that was, that was good stuff. You know, that was a good passage. And walk out of here and take your abyss with you or go back into your abyss. Don't do it. I implore you. You don't even know how to do it, but start by praying and saying, Jesus, send someone to me. I need to be in community with someone. We've got to be willing to carry one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, the things that we talked about this morning are just a representation of your own heart. Lord, you go after us. You pursue us. You love us and you love us well. And you say gospel action would be that you never leave us and you never forsake us. And if we truly are called to be your image bearers, I pray that we would do that well. That we would bear your image well by not leaving people in the abyss, but by going in after them, putting them on our shoulders, and carrying them, and loving them, and helping them, and staying with them. And even if that's only one person, oh God, I pray that we would do it well. And I pray that this body right now, Lord, there are individuals, I know that there are, in this body that are in a deep and a dark place. Some people know that, and they need to go in after them. Some of them are there, and they don't know what to do, and they just need to cry out for help. Holy Spirit, have your way amongst us this morning during this time of communion. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to step into communion. We've got four men that are going to be scattered around the sanctuary. If you're new to Redstone, we do welcome you, and we're glad that you're here. But we like to take communion on a weekly basis, not because we feel like the Scriptures mandate that, but the truth of the matter is, and I just said it, we are a people in need of change, helping people in need of change. And we understand that Jesus allowed his own body to, to be crushed, Isaiah says, right? To be crushed so that we might be able to receive um, hope and help and healing. And likewise, the Word of God says that without the shedding of blood from the perfect sacrifice, there's no forgiveness. There's no the way that you can be forgiven. We have to look to King Jesus um, for forgiveness as well. And he gave his own blood that we might be set free. 2 Corinthians 5, we looked at it last week, puts it this way. He who had no sin, which is what's represented here in his body and his blood, he who had no sin became sin, became a sin offering, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what we celebrate. And the Word of God says, as often as we take of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. The more we can celebrate what Jesus has done, even if you've been in the abyss, right? The more you can speak of what God did and how he helped you and how he brought you through that, you tear down the enemy's stronghold on you, right? We have to speak of his goodness. We have to speak of his, his love. We have to speak gospel language one to another. So as you take communion this morning, right, ask the Lord how you should be praying. Who do I need to go to? Or maybe you just want to praise him and thank him that he has brought you out of the abyss. And if he has, now it's time for you to go. God, take our time of communion, and I pray that it would be a sacrifice unto you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.